Let's do this. Give everything away because when you give your best stuff away, people are like, they've got to be confident. Cal Newport wrote a book, So Good They Can't Ignore You. Right? When people are like, well, how do I get recognized? I'd be like, be so good they can't ignore you. Hello and welcome back to another episode of On Point. I'm your host, Taylor Burke, and in today's episode, we are going to dive deep with professional basketball player turned coach. With more than 14 years building skill sets focusing on physical and mental performance, he has been featured on Men's Health, Stack Magazine, HBO Real Sports, as well as CBS Fox, USA Today, ABC as Seattle's top fitness expert. Please welcome Luca Hosavar. How are you, Luca? Hey, what's going on? Happy to be on the show. We're so happy to have you on here. You came to the iconic conference and you killed it. Everyone left the conference hearing your speech. And I'm like, oh my God, I need to have him on the podcast because you were so motivational. Well, thank you. It was, it was so much fun. And it was, uh, I would say different. And I don't mean that in any bad type of way. Um, I actually love going to, you know, because essentially it's a mix of industries and meeting a lot of people from different industries was super, super cool. And, you know, a lot of times people haven't heard you and then you have these conversations and opens doors. And it's like, oh, man, we struggle with the same thing here. And, you know, oh, you know, we're talking about content on the uh, Q&A. And that was so cool to me is because a lot of times, you know, we kind of live in bubbles in, in a certain bubble of a industry. And I was able to meet so many different people from diff- different places. And that was really, really cool to me. So it was a great experience. Yeah, it's a good reminder that no matter if you are in the fitness industry or, you know, you own a laundry shop, you know, you all have to do like the social media and branding. And it's a good reminder. Yeah, but I was just talking to a friend that's basically just started a business, you know, and they were like, well, you know, I'm a small business owner, like I'm not a content creator. And I said, look, if you're a business owner, like you are a content creator. Like it's, it's not, you know, you can't just, you can't put it aside. Like that's part of what you have to do. I mean, right. you don't have to do it, but it's really going to hurt you if you don't see yourself as, you know, that being part of the, the job essentially, right? Because what are you doing? You're, you're educating your audience, you're entertaining, you're inspiring your audience, you're helping them to one, you know, understand how you're going to solve their problem. So I think that that's kind of a misconception, right? Where that whole fear of, I don't want to be in front of the camera or write or do this, that, the other, you know, what I do is, you know, and then fill in the blank, I don't know, repair cars. And I think that when, once you can get out of that uh, and see a different story and just understand that the things that you're doing with your customers and clients day to day becomes the content that you create and you share right. and just put yourself out there. It really is a game changer for, for kind of like this marketing positioning aspect of your business. Right. I actually had someone on the podcast last week and he is a huge social media guy. Like he comes on to podcasts and he talks about how to build your social media. And he said something so interesting. He said, no matter what business you have, you need to be on social media. People wake up and the first thing they do is check social media. You need to be where the eyes are. People aren't going to wake up or go to bed at night checking your website. They're they're just not. So you need to be where the no. eyes are. So it was a great reminder. It, like if you want your business to be successful, you should be on social media one way or the other. Actually, you saying that that's is great because think about this. Okay. So in the seventies and eighties, right? Where would the advertising be? It was in the newspapers. Everybody read newspapers, right? And then, you know, it was on radio. And then of course, like think about all the advertising on TV. Now look, those things are still there. But to me, if you if you transfer, for instance, the, the newspaper now was the blog, right? Radio is now podcasting. And things like TV are now, I mean, it can be things like YouTube. 
right? And you, you're even seeing that the audiences, you're getting more audiences looking at social media, looking at social channels than they are at, you know, traditional media. Mm-hmm. To be able to, you know, you think about five, 10 years ago, what it cost. I remember I've been in, in business for, you know, 16 years. I remember even calling, you know, asking about advertising on TV. I mean, those numbers were absurd, you know, and you couldn't target it. It was like, oh, it's going to be $20,000 for three months. And you couldn't target it. It's just, you're going to be on this show at this time. You got, you know, whatever, 30, 45 second commercial with that money today. I mean, with a third of that money, with a, with a fifth of that money going on social media channels, retargeting audiences that already follow you that, for instance, are into fitness or want to change their body, whatever it may be, it's like a hundred X difference. Right. Right. And so where basically is like you advertise where the eyes are, right? And the eyes are, that's the audience. This is the formula, right? Great content equals eyes, right? Equals audience. And an audience allows you to advertise, right? And advertising then allows you to get number one sales, but even just more, I would say, um, positioning authority, right? And be able to share the message. So if you don't have great content, or you have no content, the eyes won't be there. So you got to think about and zoom out as a business and go like, where am I at? And what am I doing to bring the audience to me? Mm-hmm. And ideally, from a standpoint of those three, right? You're either educating, you're entertaining, you're inspiring, um, you're solving problems, you know, as they say, like, hey, find a market that has a lot of problems and then go there and solve them, right? And you'll, you'll do good in business. And so, you know, if you start going, I'm not a content creator, forget about that. Like zoom out and go, are the eyes on you and how do you get eyes on you? Like, you know, if I were to move into an industry I'm not in right now and partner with somebody that's great at that craft, at that skill. Yeah, sure. You're going to have referrals. You're going to have all those different things, but they got a whole pocket here missing of not creating any type of media. Cool. How do we create media? I do videos of things like, hey, be careful. You know, a lot of times when you go to a car shop, like this is what they can do to charge you more, mm-hmm. right? Boom, 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 boom. So, you know, here's what we do because we know that if we do a great job, we fix it, we're going to get referrals, but we're actually showing it to you. And a great example of this was, have you heard of Geek Squad? Yeah, of course. Well, Geek Squad, and I'm going to connect these two because Geek Squad was ahead of the game. What they did is they created a YouTube channel initially, and they were basically telling you exactly how to fix stuff. And like TVs, this, that, whatever problem you had, right? You'd search. Here's a six-minute video of how to fix this. Here's this 10-minute video of how to fix this. You search on Geek Squad. Some folks are going to be like, okay, cool. I'm going to fix it myself, right? Some people would look at that and be like, I'm not doing that shit. <laughs> it's like... I'm not doing that. That's too much. Mm-hmm. Guess who they call? They call Geek Squad, right? right? Like, guys, I was watching your video. Like, I, you know, can you fix this for me? And they built, because Best Buy, bought, they, they built a billion dollar company from that. And they were actually telling people how to do stuff that they would do for them. And yet still, they became trusted because if you're t- showing people how to do things, people trust you. Like, damn, like these guys are solving my problem right here on the spot. If I don't want to solve it myself, I'm going to call them. You know, imagine which business that you could be in and do that. And I think that folks get afraid of, you know, giving away their best stuff. What I've recognized and realized even through, you know, the the media channels that I have that have grown quite a bit is I'm like giving away sometimes everything but the kitchen sink. But then people actually want to hire you. People actually want to do business with you. I mean, there's legitimately folks, there's, there's one guy that messaged me last week and said, hey, look, whatever you create, even if I don't need it, like an ebook, I'll buy it because throughout the years, you've given me so much value on, he specifically was referring to YouTube. He's like, I don't care. I'm just buying it. Right. And this is what tends to happen because you build trust, right? Like you're solving problems. You're being yourself. You're, 
obviously, you know, being authentic as, as overplayed that word as can be. And people get drawn to that. And it's like when you have something, another solution that's paid, they'll get it. It's not even just trust, but sometimes you're building credibility. Absolutely. Because people know, Um, and this is one of my mentors from back in the days, big marketing legend, his name's Frank Kern. And he said, you know, there's three ways that you can show people that you're great at what you do and that you can solve their problems, right? Number one is you tell them that. Now that one usually sucks. Like, hey, listen, I'm the best. I'm awesome. I'm like, uh, you know, I can solve your problem. Eh, everybody says that. Number two is your clients say it, right? So that would be success stories, referrals, testimonials. Hey, look, I went there, man, they, it was awesome. I, I lost 50 pounds, like sustainably, like I'm the best shape I've ever been. That's great. And I think quite a lot of people do that and you got to do that, right? So that's Google reviews. That's your Facebook reviews. That's testimonials on your site. But number three, the one that is the least used and the best probably is to demonstrate the value to demonstrate that you can help them. And how do you do that? Well, you solve their problem before they ever meet you, which is, and you know, the best example or a simple example I can give is that somebody is struggling with their shoulder. It's like, oh, I tweaked my shoulder doing some stuff. Man, do you, do you have anything? And I'm like, I sent him a YouTube video. I'm like, protocol to basically help your shoulder feel better, right? The next day it's like, holy crap, like almost zero pain off of just doing that one time. I'm like, great, do it every day. What am I doing? Well, I'm demonstrating. Right. So if, if that person never met me, you go on YouTube and you look for shoulders bugging me and there's a whole bunch of stuff that I have, like short three minute videos. Here's a 25 minute video. Step by step. Do exactly what I'm doing here. Your shoulder will feel better. I'm demonstrating the value. Right. That person does it and go like, holy crap, that guy's know what he's talking about. Right. And then, of course, what do they do? Well, the next step is if they if they want to perform better, really get their shoulders strong, improve their body, they're going to go to you because you've already demonstrated that value to them. Right. And so I would say that that's a level of credibility. You write a blog, it's super in-depth. Somebody reads it, does some stuff from it, goes like, damn, this works. Credibility, credibility, credibility. Give everything away because when you give your best stuff away, a couple of things happen. Number one. People are like, they've got to be confident. You have to be confident in your stuff to give your stuff away. Number two, when people try to do it, unfortunately, they won't be able to do it themselves. I'll use fitness as an example, right? I mean, we just gave the Geek Squad explanation, but in fitness, I can write out, hey, nutrition, follow these protocols, do this, do that. It's more complex. Behavior changes is messy, right? And having coaching, guidance, accountability, people that have been there, done that, that's a whole different ballgame. So you give the best stuff away. People try to do it. They get some success, but they get stuck somewhere. Well, they reach out to you. The understanding that nothing bad will happen when you give away great stuff and give away great value. But what about to the people who are afraid that they're not going to be making money if they give everything away? Start the new year right with the best hair possible when you enter to win our podcast holiday giveaway. The On Point Podcast is bringing you the best hair care for the hair of your dreams. You can win nine Orbe hair products valued at over $550. And if you know anything about hair products, you know Orbe is the best on the market. So how do you enter? Go to Instagram either to at Vagara Pro or my Instagram at Tay Burke, T-A-Y-Y-B-U-R-K-E and do three easy steps. One, like the post. Two, comment and tell me what your favorite episode of On Point was this year. And then three, tag three of your friends in the comments. Easy as that. The holiday giveaway ends on Friday, December 23rd, and shipping is open to all U.S. locations. Good luck and happy holidays. Okay, so here, here's the deal. A problem that I've found is that, you know, this is the old kind of Gary Vaynerchuk left jab, 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 right hook, right? Give, 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 ask. 
So I've always said that a five to one, I would prefer even a 10 to one ratio of creating things that just give value, entertain, inspire, and then have an ask. And people don't ask enough. Where's your ask? Where's your offer to, for us, it's like a 30 day results in advance program, risk-free. It's paid, but like, hey, if you don't get results, if you don't think it was awesome, we'll give you your money back. People have to be led to something. That's why in emails, right at the end, you always do, like, we we'll always do something called a super signature, which is uh, Dean Jackson created it. And it's like a PS, right? So you do a content email, it's entertaining, and you go like, PS, whenever you're ready, here's three ways to work with me, right? And then you do number one, join our 30 to res- results in advance program. Number two, you know, if you're at home and you can't make it to Vigor, buy this ebook for eight week program. But what are we doing? We're, we're telling them what to do. We're leading them to a solution. And I think that you got these kind of two pockets, right? Are you creating enough valuable content that solves problems? And then creating, you know, five, at least five to one, if not 10 to one ratio, are you asking for a cell? The cell that you're basically asking for is actually going to help this person more. This is the, the ratio I think that people need to zoom out and go like, okay, am I doing, am I doing an ask on a YouTube channel? Or if I have an Instagram or a Facebook? Now, sometimes the ask is, you know, running paid ads. But even if you're not running paid ads, you can organically say, we call it a hand raiser post. Hey, I'm looking for five guys that want to look and feel the best that they have since college and like get their athleticism back in the next 60 days. DM me or say yes. If you're interested, I'll reach out to you. You get a bunch of people to go like, damn, like I don't feel great. Like I, yeah, I want that. Boom, reach out. All right, cool. Let's get on a call. Right. And then here's a program that's going to help you solve this. Even that's not going to work as well because folks go on your IG, they go on your, your site, they're going to find you and they're going to see what you have before they make a decision. I know I've seen, seen a cool clothes pop up on my Instagram. Instead of clicking to the cart, I click on the, the company and then I go through their IG and I'm like, eh, nah, 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 whatever, right? Or sometimes I go like, oh, ooh, this is cool. They got more cool stuff. Oh, this person's wearing it. Go back to cart, buy. They're basically shopping under your nose and people will do this. They'll go on your site. When's the last you know, blog post you put up? Three years. Hmm? That's weird. Are they even still in business, right? <laughs> go on your social media channel and they'll go like, oh, like, this video has 40 views. It's really inactive. Automatically, they don't feel like you're a person that's creating a solution. You might not be um, as, you know, pop. Let's just call it popular. Unfortunately, you know, that's a thing too. You know, you go to a club and one club has a line out of it. The other one doesn't. Which club do you want to go to? Right? The one with the line out of it. So it, we know if some videos have more views, more shares, more engagement, people get drawn to that because it's social proof. Um, you know, and that's unfortunately or fortunately. Mm-hmm. People will say like, oh, wow, like this video has more views. So obviously these folks know what they're talking about, right? Yeah. That should be the sell to me that you're working on this and you're doing this. And you just and create a process and just focus on a process. Are you creating, are you like, if you're proud of the product that you put out, that's a win. And it's going to add up and it's, and, and you will get more of eyeballs and audience and more sales. But here's the deal. I can guarantee you that you won't if you're not doing any of it. Right. Something's better than right. nothing. hundred percent. And it's like, you know, it, again, because folks will be like, oh my God, you're posting three times a day. I said, look, never compare yourself and try to take the habits of a person that's, you know, maybe 11 steps ahead of you. I think like that's a mistake. You know how you see these articles pop up and target you like Elon Musk's morning routine. And it's like, don't do Elon Musk's morning routine. Like, you know, do what you need to do for where you are and the next step, right? You don't need to know all the steps, just the next step. So are you posting zero times? Okay. Post once a week. That's better. Mm-hmm. 
feel good about that? Great. Let's get you to three times a week and once a day. Again, that can happen pretty fast, right? And it just becomes a habit, just like brushing our teeth becomes a habit. And it's like subconscious. Creating content for me is not as challenging because it's a habit. Right. I've blocked out times where I do it. Sometimes it's like I'm just coaching and I'm like, oh, this would be a good thing to talk about. You know, 30 second video. Boom. And I'll have like, you know, three, four or five videos sometimes at the end of the day. And I mean, I didn't use all of them, but I've got plenty of content, like to a degree that like if I stop making content today, I got months of content. You know, folks are spending hours and hours on social media per day. But the problem is that if you're spending that time on social, but you're not creating for yourself, your business and your family, that's the issue. Like, hey, stop watching other people's content as much and create your own. Mm. Right? Yeah, I love that. Speaking of credibility, I want the audience to know a little bit more about you. So you have personally coached over 3000 clients from the highest level of professional athletes to every walk of life, let's say. So let's kind of talk about what got you into the fitness industry to begin with. Well, this could be a long story, but I'm going to try to keep it short. I've, <laughs> I've practiced keeping it short and concise, but you know, like I, I essentially, my, my life was as a kid at like basketball was such a big part of it. And I moved around a lot. We moved to England when I was seven and we came back when I was to Slovenia when I was 11 years old, kind of right around when the war started in the Balkans and ball was my, what would be the word? Like it was, it was a thing that I was really, really into, not because I was good at it, which I think there's, I like to share that because there's a lesson there. Most people will say stuff like, you know, I found my passion or purpose, right? And I, I truly believe there's a, um, Cal Newport wrote a book, So Good They Can't Ignore You. It's a Steve Martin saying. It's one of my favorite, right? When people are like, well, how do I get recognized? I'd be like, be so good they can't ignore you. And I did, I wasn't really good at ball. I was short. I was scrawny. You know, nobody picked me. It put a chip on my shoulder. And I, I was like pissed off. And that made me practice more. I was really hard headed. So I practiced more and more. I got better. Now, the better I got, the more passionate I got. You know, so that's the lesson here for anybody that's like, oh, you know, well, I'm not passionate about this because I'm not that good at it. I'm like, guess what? It's going to take work. Now, some people have talents in one area more than the other one. True. But you can get exceptionally good at things. And so basketball was that for me. It was like this chip on my shoulder. And I kept getting better, kept getting better. And in my, my youth years, I also was a knucklehead, like a big, big knucklehead. Well, actually, from the time that I came back from England, I was getting into trouble. But, you know, starting like at 13, 14 years old, I was starting to do a lot of dumb and illegal stuff. I got into organized crime. When I was 15, I started selling drugs. And it was like this two roles. It was like basketball and it was, I'd go to school enough to, for the teachers to go like, oh, he's here, he's here, here and there. But I was just doing a lot, a lot of dumb stuff and getting in a lot of trouble. And I would say like basketball really did truly save my life because I made a decision uh, when I was 18. So when I was 17, we went to America to this basketball academy, essentially, that was you know, all the top high school players. And our team from Slovenia went there. It was like this experiential thing. And a coach there, Wayne Jones, was like, hey, did you ever think about going to college, you know, in the States? And at that point in time, I was like, no, I'm already playing pro ball at 17, you know, getting money under the table. I'm doing stuff in the streets. And he was, he was a really good, good dude. I came back. So he kept in touch with me. And then that next year, I got in a lot of trouble. So just, you know, things that could be life changing in a negative way for me. And from getting shot at to interrogative jail to like just a lot of stuff like that. And I started. So, you know, Wayne was like, hey, come back and do Trenton Jersey again. You know, come to Denver, train with me for two weeks and then we'll go back to camp. And I was like, OK, I'll do that because it was, there was just so much stuff going on that I started going like, OK, like I'm in so deep. 
you know, where do I go with this? And after I went to Denver, I did really, really good. And I had no idea how college basketball works, by the way. Scholarships, when's the cutoff dates? So I'm there in July and I get Quinnipiac, Western Michigan, Delaware State, which all the one schools uh, in basketball, they were like, hey, like you're, you're really good. You know, we'll give you a scholarship, but you're going to have to walk on because we're out of scholarships. It's July, you know? And I'm like, oh, cool. That's awesome. Now, all these schools cost, you know, $50,000 and up per year. So we don't have that. You know, we can't, we can't get the long, there's no way we can afford anything like that. In a school in upstate New York, there was a junior college. One of the coaches said, hey, listen, like you can't get a full ride. It's a D2, but you'll play and it's cheap. So I come back to Slovenia and within days. I'm like thinking about everything going on. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to pull the trigger on this. And I go get a visa and I make a decision like, like this. I'm going to go to the States and play essentially junior college ball for a couple of years. And so I did, you know, short story is I end up doing that. Got a full ride in Southern Virginia. And from there, went and played pro ball in Europe, Ukraine, Slovenia, NBA Summer Pro League. And, and so that was, you know, so I, number one, I always say like basketball truly did save my life. I, I believe that because if I didn't make that decision, I don't think I'd be where I am today. But there's an overlapping story to this that when I was 13 years old, my mom was like working two, three jobs and she opened a gym with her friend. Like I said, I was like a scrawny kid. I was sure, you know, in the Balkans around from Slovenia, Serbia, Croatia, like a lot of tall guys. So I started going to the gym and I had some, I would call them mentors today that showed me how to lift weights. And there were actually top power lifter in Slovenia, two guys that were legitimately world-class, like gold medal winners and world championships in gymnastics and straddle. So they taught me how to you know, lift and I would lift and I got stronger. I could jump higher, like everything in basketball improved. So I could, and, and two, it made me more confident because I was not a really confident kid. So I think that I fell in love with training then and there, even though basketball was kind of like my love weights and performance training. And like, you know, of course, every kid that's a basketball player wants to dunk it. That became like my obsession. And so even from 13 years on, like I'm reading books, I'm, I'm, I'm reading anything I can get my hands on. So it was this underlying story to where when I went to college, I ended up, you know, getting a minor in exercise science and kinesiology just because I was like, I just want to know everything there is about the body. Like, and I'm so into it. And once, you know, I was playing pro ball during my last pro ball year, and I didn't know it was going to be the last year, you know, I'd go to the gym and people were like, hey, listen, like what I was doing looked weird at that point in time mobility training and power training. And I was lifting a lot of weight for, for how much I weighed my height and everything else. And people were like, what is this? You know, and I'd geek out because I'm like, oh, well, I'm doing this and this and this and this. And people start asking me to train them because pro sports is not always the way that you think it is going to be. I wasn't, you know, getting paid regularly. And this was division one pro basketball. And that's a, that's a whole nother story. So I was like, I'll take on a couple of clients. You were taking on clients while you were playing pro. Yes, I would get a basically I'd get up in the morning, basketball practice, lift weights, train people like three, four, five hours, ended up getting to that much, go to evening basketball practice. <laughs> that that was my yeah, it was it was pretty nuts. Wow. And and I did that quite a bit. And I started writing articles for, it was a magazine of like this big gym chain in Slovenia. And I'd write articles and people would come in like, oh, you wrote that article on back pain. Like I have back pain. Here's the other thing too. I wasn't making a lot of money. At this point in time in Slovenia, personal training is not even a full-time profession. Like it, seriously, it doesn't exist to a degree where you could look at a person and go like, that trainer is successful. They're known. They make really good money. It didn't exist. But I really enjoyed the process of helping people. And it's as corny as it may sound, you know, I had to kind of tilt the uh, scales of karma for myself because I did a lot of, you know, s shitty stuff during my years of organized crime. And like, this made me feel good. I'm like, hey, I'm helping people out. So just the feeling I got kind of 
drove me to do more and more and more of it. But at one point in time, I went to my brother and said, look, like, because we were, we were also running groups in this park called Tivoli. So we're just doing group training outside with kettlebells. You know, the groups kept growing. And I was like, we got something here. Like, I feel it in my gut. Like, I want to, you know, I think we should open up a small gym. At that point in time, I was essentially engaged to be married with my college sweetheart in the U.S., so my brother's like, I don't know, like, are you going to go play pro ball in another country again? Are you going to the U.S.? Like, I don't know if we should do this. And I kept pushing because in my stomach, I was like, I know this is what we got to do. And we did. Eventually, we opened up. a. I mean, I wouldn't say it was a 470 square foot room. So think like, you know, studio apartment size. Right. And we opened and we had class times. And within three, four months, they were busy. Within six months, it was even busier. And then we went to a 2,200 square foot space. And that's when I left to go to the US. And basically that gym, to take that story in a, in a different line, like we've had that gym for 16 years. Wow. And we were the first gym of its kind in Slovenia, true coaching results-based membership gym. Like there was none before it. And we, we still lead the country. And, you know, we do the most continuing education out of any, any gym. And but then I, I came here to the US and I started from scratch. Nobody knew me, training at LA Fitness, went from LA Fitness to you know, a single gym called Vision Quest, which I helped and, you know, building group training systems. They ended up actually over a course of years growing to 14 gyms and selling to, to LA Fitness. But while I was there, I opened up a small garage gym. And that was now 14 plus years ago. I went from garage gym, thousand square feet to 4,700 square foot uh, space to buying my own building that's 12,000 square feet six years ago, where we have now multiple tenants. So we have a med spa, we have a nail salon, we have a smoothie bar, we have physical therapy, we have obviously my gym, uh, we have a pro sports team, a Seawolves rugby team in there. So they're all paying rent to essentially my real estate company that owns the building. And then there's the gym inside. It's been a crazy, crazy journey. But for me that, you know, basketball saved my life. And then when you lose the identity of like, I spent decades becoming a pro athlete. And like my dream was the NBA. And I, you know, I made it pretty close. I, I was in the Summer Pro League in 2004. No one would ever tell you, you know, when they knew me as a 12, 13 year old kid that I'd ever make it to the pros, right. you know, and I was so hard. I've, I've lived with the chip on my shoulder for a long time, right? And it was when you make that decision, you go like, I don't know if I want to do this anymore for, for a number of reasons. You kind of lose like, who am I if I'm not, you know, a, a pro athlete? It's who, a grieving like, now process. That this dream, yes, it's, it is. And it's like, okay, I had this dream and it's not going to be achieved. Like, what now? So fitness was this, you know, this underlying love that I had. And that I later on was like, I really truly believe it was like, it led me to this. This is what I really was meant to do. I've said it before. It's like, you know, purpose is not found. It's forged. You know, people are like, how can you work like such a long day and do the stuff that you do and be so fired up and like, keep doing it over and over and over again. And I think that when you play that infinite game and you have this mission and this vision, it pulls you, you know, it doesn't push you. It's like, oh, I have to make this money. It's like, there's a bigger thing that pulls you. And as corny as it sounds, the people that, you know, are my really good friends and been really successful or, or my mentors, everyone has that, right? They'll tell you that. They'll be like, there's something pulling them forward. Mm -hmm. And there's a thing called a passion hypothesis, right? And the passion hypothesis is that you're going to do something and you're going to be like, wow, I'm so passionate about this and then you know it's like a fairy tale from there on out but all the studies show like all the research shows that the better you get the more deliberate practice you put into your craft the more passionate you become about it very well known powerlifter and the owner of elite fts he said look this here's the chart it's shit suck good great right that's the chart so when you start you're probably gonna be shit maybe you're gonna be sucky but if you work on it you keep getting better and the thing is the, the better you get the more fired up you get about it the more passionate you become about it that was ball for me 
That was training for me. Studies of doctors show that deeper in their career, the doctors are more passionate about their work than they are when they started, right? And it's, um, there's a lot of misconceptions around that. So if there's something that you're like, man, I want to explore this, make sure you give it your best, right? Because you may give it your best and build a skill set and then go like, you know what? This is not for me. But here's what happened. One, you practiced effort and giving it your all. And, and that is a skill in itself. Number two, like you built a skill set. But I see a lot of folks that will go like, I don't know, like, I'm not that good at this. Like, and boom, and they move on. They miss an opportunity because they they're practicing. They're like, yes. And it's like, imagine that like, oh, this is hard. Uh, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to try to find something easier. Mm. Now you get in the habit of just jumping ship all the time, building no skill sets, right? And just getting really good at changing course when things are hard. That's not life. That's not business. And you won't make it if that's the values and the characteristics that you practice. Would you say like because you started training while you were still playing ball, was that transformation from player to coach easier for you? Did you miss Iconic 22? Feeling some FOMO? Don't worry. Catch up on all the amazing and inspiring talks from speakers like Venus Williams, Tabitha Coffey, and more with Iconic On Demand. Head over to iconic.figaro.com to start watching. Then get pumped to join us at next year's Iconic Conference. Absolutely. You know, going back to that deliberate practice. So I, I lifted weights since I was 13 years old. Now, the thing is that I was studying all these things because in my mind, I was like, I have to run faster. I got to jump higher. I got to be more conditioned for basketball. But really, I was deliberately practicing the skill of training coaching, the science of performance, nutrition. I, you know, same thing. I'm 16, 17. Like, Hey, I got to be leaner. I got to put on more muscle books on nutrition, like study everything that I can. Like if you ask me then, Hey, do you want to be a strength coach? I'd be like, what are you talking about? I'm going to be a pro basketball player in the NBA. Right. But I was putting in thousands of hours of deliberate practice in, you know, training, nutrition, habits, like all these things that will help me perform better on the basketball court. And so when that transition happened and I'm having this identity crisis, I fell, I fell down on a really, really, really strong foundation of like basically performance, you know, and even in college, like my teammates would be like, God, like, why do you know all this stuff about training? You know, they start asking me questions. I start helping them with things. Again, I didn't think anything of it because it's like, this is what I did. So it certainly helped me out tremendously because I was building that skill. And I was really, really, really good at it. So I always say um, my anxiety is my excitement. So I know people relate anxiety to bad things, but I think that you can reframe it and use it as fuel. The thing is one mindset versus the other can completely alter what you're doing, which is why, you know, training your mind is so important. I always say like, look, you have physical weightlifting. Everybody gets that. You go in, you lift weights, you get stronger. You have mental weightlifting, you know, which I would say mindset gym are you going into and training that? That can be reading books. There's a lot of different exercises you can do. I mean, I'll be a whole podcast in and of itself. <laughs> what are the exercises one, that like, you do? Actually, I'll, I'll give you one. This is, this is an excellent. It's called positive focus. Okay. Positive focus. It, it has a nice little rhyme to it. What, why, lesson, apply. Okay. What, why, lesson, apply. So what is like you take, a, and I would, I, I went for about a year and a half doing this exercise every day like straight up, like 500 days in a row, you take something from the previous day, usually something that would be perceived negative. Okay. So that would be the what, what happened? We lost three members. Okay. No emotion attached to it. Just fact. We lost three members. Why? Why is that positive? Now, this is where the trouble begins, right? Because your brain's going to want to go positive. Shit, that's negative, horrible, right? You go down the spiral. 
No, why is it positive? Why is it positive? And then when you kind of calm down, you go, okay, it's going to allow us, okay, why is it positive? Because it'll help us see what we can do better so that this doesn't happen again. That's what's positive. The lesson I always call the lesson, like, what's the tagline on a shirt? So the tagline on a shirt might be complaints are gifts, right? Because here's the thing, in the world of customer service, most people actually won't tell you why they leave, right? They'll just leave. Business owners tend to like really try to avoid complaints. Like, oh, I don't want to deal with this. I don't want, but the complaint is the gift. Hey, listen, you know, the coach that was working with me, you know, they moved my schedule, you know, four times in the last two months, you know, missed two sessions. And man, I love it here, but it's just like, my time's really valuable. It's really hard for me to get in. I really value that. And it was just, you know, I, I just felt like I wasn't important. Oof, that hurts. But that complaint is a gift because now I can go back and look at like, listen, what we got to change. We got what systems do we need to put into place so that this doesn't happen again, right? So what, why, lesson, and then this is the cool one, apply. Because apply would be you have business, you have personal life, you have finances, and you have your health and fitness. So we got a lesson from business, but then you go and say, how would I apply that into finances, right? A complaint is a gift. And maybe it's like, when you get that little notification from uh, your bank, it's like you're overdrafting and go like, oh shit, I have to go back and check mm-hmm. and make sure I put a system in place so that I'm like basically making more money than I'm spending. What about your health? Complaint is a gift. Man, I constantly feel that hamstring. Like every workout is bugging me. Okay, that's a complaint right there. It's a gift. Go check it out. Go to the physical therapist. Get Go get some soft tissue work. Again, so you have, what about personal life, right? Your girlfriend's like, complain to you three times about something, maybe it's a gift. Look at yourself. How can you improve it so it doesn't happen again, right? So that's positive focus. And it's an actual exercise. And it's hard to do because, you know, imagine every day, and I went, like I said, a year and a half, every day I'm looking at a you know, bad thing and having to reframe it. And at the beginning, it was hard. What started happening afterwards is that something would happen and my brain would quickly go to, why is that positive? How do I take this challenge and make it better? How do I make things better, right? I would instantly, my brain would start reframing to like how I can solve this problem and what is it teaching me? And the thing is, you got to practice that because our brains are not built like that. So you have to practice to get your brain to start looking at things differently. And as you know, Tony Robbins said, look, the quality of your life is going to be dictated by the quality of the questions that you ask yourself. So when something bad happens and you go like, why me? This is not fair, blah, blah, blah. That's a shitty question to ask because now you're going down a spiral and becoming a victim. But if you go like, Hmm, what am I learning from this? What is this teaching me? How can this help me improve, you know, in life, whatever, wherever it happened? Being able to ask yourself those questions leads to different answer because the question is the focus, right? What's good here? What can I learn from this? There's a different question is like, why did this happen to me? Another way is I'm a voracious reader. And it's interesting because in school, I didn't really like to read that much. But once I figured out that anything that anybody's ever learned, you can learn too, because you can read it in books, watch it in videos, right? That means the smartest people on the planet on any topic, you can buy a book for 15 bucks and learn from them. That's mind blowing, mm-hmm. mind blowing. When I figured that out, and I figured it out first through training, right? Because I was reading these, um, like I said, I was mentioning some hard to say names like Tudor Bampa and Zatsyorsky and Hershansky, which was like the original like strength training kind of geniuses from, from Russia and then Mel Sif and all, you know, all these old, and I was like reading that stuff and going like, holy shit, this is nuts. Like I can do this and this and this. And then I try and it worked, right? So I started going like, wow, like I can learn from the best in the world by getting resources from them. And that was 20 years ago. I mean, now it's kind of like, I mean, Google it, buy a product, like it's right there, right? So there's no excuse for you not to be able to learn it. 
right? And what I would start doing is, I, I would say it even better inside it. I started reading autobiographies and books from people. And I started reading things. I wanted to see what happened when they struggled. I wanted to see when, what they did when they failed. I wanted to see how they thought and what actions they took when they failed, right? Because everything is dandy when things are going good, right? So I started going into reading a lot of books about all these different entrepreneurs that I, I looked up to. You know, for instance, uh, Richard Branson was one of them. He's one of my entrepreneurial heroes, which was super cool because like five years ago, I got invited to go to Necker Island uh, with the Maverick Group and spend some time with him personally, which was mind-blowing. And, and he is very much so like the book's talk about him, right? Oh, wow. uh, so, so that was cool. But, but what I wanted, what was really cool is like, I wanted to see like, oh, this is when a company tanked and I had to fire all these people and we thought that we were done for forever. And here's what I did then. Here's what I was thinking. Here's how I got help. Here's how I got over it. Because it started helping me create these mental models of what do people that are extremely successful, what are they, you know, everybody knows kind of like the, what would Jesus do band, right? right. Well, I started collecting bands for what would uh, Richard Branson do? What would, you know, uh, in the fitness industry back then, like with training, what would Joe DeFranco do? What would Cosgrove do? What would uh, t- uh, Gary Vaynerchuk do? What, like, I would start studying to where I had more and more mental models to help me solve problems, right? And also, like, I've been really in the last, you know, 15 years, I go to more seminars, you know, now I speak at so many things, but like, hey, when I'm at the seminar, I'm taking notes, you know, I'm building these networks of extremely successful people in their field and learning about how they overcome challenges, and I think that's the other thing. That's, that's mental weightlifting. Read that book, take the notes, see how they got over it. You know, when you're in the bottom of the pit, the business failed, the, you know, you got divorced, you, you got injured, like read about the people that were there and that made it through. That's mental weightlifting. And it, it, that stuff changes your life as, as corny as it may sound. But I just gave a couple of examples because I wanted to show practically, I'd read every day, but for, you know, 15 years, I mean, I was reading anywhere from 70 to 100 books a year. And, wow. you know, a book a week, two books a week, just, you know, in the morning I'm reading and in the evening I'm reading for an hour and a half weekends. Sometimes I'm reading for you know, two to three. And I would just study the hell out of like one, either topics to build skill sets or I'd study people's mindsets on how they think to create or how they overcome challenges. And anybody can do that. How do you find the next book to read or the next person to learn from? Because you're saying that you're reading 70 to 100 books a year. Okay, I'll give you a simple solution to this one. Because I don't, again, I don't want people to go like, holy crap, I'm not reading any books. This guy's <laughs> reading 100 years. <laughs> right. So the thing is, is that imagine that there's a bridge between, you know, where you are, and where you want to go. Think about the visual of like, I'm on one side of this you know, canyon and there's this drawbridge going over it. That drawbridge is the skill sets that you need, the mindsets that you need, and the people in your environment and in your kind of like network that you need to get across. So you pick one and you go like, what is a thing that I'm not good at? They're like, I definitely need to get ahead. Man, I'm struggling with sales. But to be honest, I suck at sales. I've never studied sales. Okay. What's a great sales book, right? What's a great sales philosophy resource video course that I can take that will help me take the next step? Not all the steps. I can't even see all the steps, but the next step. Go get that, go study that, and then apply it. There was parts of my life where I'd read books and be like, yeah, I read all these books, right? But the thing is, you you read the book for knowledge, then you got to go apply it. And I know a lot of people that like read a lot, but they don't apply it. And it's irrelevant. And so example here would be, and I promise you, most people in, in, in small business need to study sales and marketing straight up. Get a sales book or get a sales course, study it. And then like, as you're doing it, apply it. 
you know, next day I go to work and like, I, I learned this one thing. I'm going to try it. I'm going to apply it and, and do some more and then do some more, some more. Boom. You get through the book, you apply this stuff and you're like, holy shit. Okay. Maybe you need to get even better. Cool. Read another one. Right? You read through three, you applied all that stuff. Let me dig into like content marketing. Let me dig into how to create quality content. Okay. Because you can't do it all at once. But the thing is the process of applying and moving forward is extremely powerful, right? Surround yourself with people that are where you want to be, that are uplifting, that are challenging you. And here's the thing too, our, our brain is wired to adhere to the standards of the tribe. If the tribe, this mastermind, everybody's putting in work, everybody's learning, everybody's challenging each other, everybody's getting better. That becomes your standard because that's your tribe. It's the, the whole saying like, hey, you are the five people you spend the most time with. To me, that's one of the most powerful things, coaching programs, masterminds, groups is because they lift you up. Now, same thing, right? If you hang out with people that are like, ah, forget about it. Like external environment dictates, like I wasn't meant to be, have money and be successful. I wasn't meant to be fit. That environment is going to drag you down, period. You know, go live with like super broke people for a year or go live with super successful people for a year and see what takes you further. It's very, very simple. So I always go like, hey, look, like you got to be careful. You know, you're watching your wallet, right? The watching a wallet analogy is basically where is your time and energy going and where's your money going? And to me, that's going to tell me everything that I need to know about your commitments. Even if you tell me like, I want to be successful and make more money. And then I'm like, oh, five hours on Netflix. Jeez, no, no reading books, no going to courses. I can look at your and see like, what about your, where are you spending money? Clothes, going out for drinks three, four nights a week. Oh, I got no money to invest in myself. No, you do. You're just putting it somewhere else. And so you're watching your wallet. And it's hard to look at. Like, let me look at your schedule. I'm going to let you know where you're going. Let me look at your bank account. Not how much is in there, but like, where's the money going? And I can let you know where you're going, right? And so number one investment should be you. You are the number one asset. Yeah, I read a quote once that if you're the smartest in the room, you're in the wrong room. And I always think of that quote all the time. Like if you are who you surround yourself with. And so that's a great reminder. And I, I just have to tell you, Luca, through the last like 30 minutes of talking to you, you are so motivational. Like you are meant to be a coach. You can just tell the way you talk. You're so knowledgeable and I'm blown away. Thank you. Thank you so much. You know, when I get to go on a podcast, I'm like, if somebody hears something, just one thing that gets them fired up and they're like, oh, they have an aha moment. They go do something. That's a win for me. That is amazing. And Luca, to wrap up, after 20 years in the fitness industry, what is something that you wish you knew when you started? I'm glad I didn't know how hard it would be running your own business. And so it, seriously, because if you knew how challenging, and, I, and I'm not trying to dissuade anybody, honestly, the thing is that when you, like, you should just take the next step. I think that that's the, the, the thing when I look back, sometimes I got stuck. You know, a thing that I wish I knew, I got stuck because I was, I would see the next hundred steps. That's overwhelming. Like learning to go, here's the next step, execute. Okay, here's the next step, execute. And I coach people that get stuck in that. If you can learn to go, okay, I heard this one thing that I'm not doing. I feel like I can do that. That should be everything for you. Do that thing. And then you build momentum and then you can take on bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger things. And so I would say that's probably the best form of advice because it can stop people. Right. So one day at a time, one problem at a time. Is that what you're trying to say? I'm, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to steal this from Gary Vee, who another person I've been very fortunate to spend time with, but cloud, he says clouds and dirt. What clouds and dirt means is like there's two things you should focus on. The clouds are the vision. That's the North star, right? Where do you want to go? The dirt's the work, right? The dirt is the next step. Yes. Keep that compass of where you want to go, but make sure that the thing that you focus on the most is the next step. 
right? Keep the vision in mind, moving forward. I love that. That's awesome, Luca. Before we let you go, we're going to play a quick game. It's a would you rather game. And so I made you eight would you rather questions and you get three Lovely. seconds to choose one or the other. Okay. okay. You said three seconds? Three seconds. Are you ready? Yep. Okay. Would you rather be an NBA basketball player or an NBA basketball coach right now? Mm-hmm. A player. Who would you rather have on your fantasy team? Prime LeBron James or prime Michael Jordan? Uh, easy. Michael Jordan. Would you rather work out for two hours with no deodorant or work out for two hours with no water? Uh, no water. Easy. Done both. <laughs> Would you rather do a workout to nails on a chalkboard or to a baby crying? Hmm. You know what? Baby crying because I want to challenge myself. Be horrible. Um, okay. <laughs> Would you rather have fame or would you rather have fortune? Fortune. Would you rather be the fastest or would you rather be the strongest? Mm, speed kills fastest. If you had to break something on your body, would you rather break your leg or your arm? Ooh, arm. Okay, last one. Who would you rather train? Steph Curry or Kevin Durant? Uh, Steph Curry. Yeah. He's a workhorse. I'm not saying Kevin Durant's not, but Steph Curry's an underdog like me. Well, that's why I, I, I love Steph. I love Steph. And you know what, Luca? I was gonna say when we came into this podcast today, I had a list of questions, and we didn't even talk about any of that. I think what you talked about in this episode was way more than I ever expected. So I just want to say thank you so much for being a part of the podcast today. You completely killed it. You're so motivational. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Appreciate you guys having me on. And again, like this was a lot of fun. Okay. Thank you. Bye, Luca. Bye. Our goal is to always give you the content you didn't know you needed to know and to make sure you're always on point. I'm Taylor Burke. Thank you for listening.